The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 51 of the podcast. It's Sunday, June the 4th, and we are live on YouTube. For those of you who subscribe on YouTube, this is a new thing we're doing. And if you don't subscribe, just search for MMA on the Rocks on YouTube. And I believe if you subscribe, they'll send you an email every time we go live. So we're doing a thing live this time. We'll give it a shot. So we, we can't edit it to make us sound as, as pretty as we normally do with all the, the filters and the, the voiceovers and, uh, you know, all the, all the extra work that goes in afterwards that I'm totally making up. Um, and <laughs> joining me, as always, all the way from New Jersey, my co-host, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing on this Sunday afternoon? I'm wonderful, Bill. Trying to figure out when the weather's going to start to get warm again. But other than that, I'm good. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing awesome, man. I don't have to figure out when the weather's going to get warm again because this is Florida and it's always warm. <laughs> uh, I think it was like 88 degrees yesterday. Today was it was raining this morning, so it cooled everything off, which was kind of nice. Uh, something that wasn't cooled off was Max Holloway's wind streak. How do you like that transition? <laughs> so let's talk about the pay-per-view last night. UFC 212 from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, headlined by Max Holloway. Coming in on a 10-fight win streak with an interim title around his waist that he won uh, in a complete destruction of Anthony Pettis a couple of months ago. So Holloway looked awesome in this fight. Came out a little slow in the first round, but he was just kind of uh, getting Aldo's rhythm, and it was the Max Holloway show after that. Aldo looked a little bit flat. He uh, he was flat-footed. He didn't have his trademark footwork. He wasn't throwing leg kicks, so I don't know if something was up with him, if he had an injury or there mentally anymore this was kind of a theory i had bounced around last week when we were breaking down this card you know ever since the the unfortunate conor mcgregor well unfortunate for jose aldo uh conor mcgregor fight uh he hasn't really seemed the same he he always had kind of more of an energy and a passion for fighting and i think that world tour that press tour with conor mcgregor just kind of sucked the life out of him a little bit and Connor really got in his head, and I feel like he just doesn't enjoy it like he used to. He used to be in there and look like a little kid, like he was really having fun. He would dance around and, you know, really kind of toy with his opponents because his skill set was just so much higher. And a lot of people were talking about the 10-fight win streak of Max Holloway coming into this fight. Jose Aldo had an 18-fight win streak uh, going into the Connor McGregor fight. With and you know it was the who's who of the division. Uriah Faber, Mike Brown, Cub Swanson. Uh, you look at his resume and it's ridiculous. 
uh, Frankie Edgar, who he would go on to defeat again. Um, so what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Uh, and did it go down the way you thought it would? Yeah, Bill, I really thought that Max Holloway was going to win. Um, I didn't think he would struggle as much. I thought Jose Aldo came out looking really strong. He had a stiff jab. Um, you know, I felt like he he tagged Holloway a couple of times in the first round. And, you know, Holloway, it took him probably about two rounds to really get started, figure out all those timing and stuff. And then in the third round, he, he made it look like light work, man. So good for him. It was an awesome fight. Yeah. I was I was surprised to see that Holloway didn't have a reach advantage because he looks so much bigger, but I guess Aldo just has long arms because and Holloway seems real lanky though, too. Um it, it did look like he had a reach advantage, but as far as the numbers go, he doesn't. Um what was really impressive was his, his control on the ground. Uh when he had rocked Aldo and and Aldo was trying to uh you know, recover his butterfly guard and, and spring back up. Holloway was just all over him. Like everywhere Aldo turned, there was Holloway putting pressure down uh, with his hips and with his legs and, you know, just showing like real superior ground control there. I thought that was really impressive. I mean, the combination he put him down with was, was pretty slick. It was a one-two and then a one-two that followed it up right away once he saw uh, Aldo flinch a little bit. And, um, you know, Aldo's kind of giving the thumbs up while Holloway's raining blows down on his head. But, uh, you know, John McCarthy made the right call stopping that fight, I think, because you can't you can't let a guy just keep getting hit in the head, even if he's saying he's OK. Like, I'm OK, I'm OK. What, but like repeated blows to the head. Uh, and, you know, I think he gave him. He gave him plenty of time. I think he gave him the respect of a champion, uh, you know, giving him a chance to recover. Uh, what did you think about the stoppage, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a good stoppage. Max Holloway, like you said, he looked great on top, man. He was just riding that wave. Any, anywhere Aldo went, he went. It was really smooth. And, yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a good stoppage. Aldo wasn't defending himself. And even before, um, I felt like him even giving up his back was a really bad sign. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you were saying you and I were texting during this fight last night, and you were saying that he should have gone for the choke there. It looked like he didn't want to submit Aldo because he probably could have gone for a choke there and, you know, maybe could have gotten him out of there that way. It seemed like he wanted to make a statement and and punch his way to victory there. So awesome win for Max Holloway, who, you know, a lot of people doubt him. And even, you know, even me going in, into this fight, it, it was hard to pick against Aldo. You know, I, I don't make picks or anything, but I could see a strong argument for why people would pick Aldo, uh, you know, being that he's he's never really been in trouble in the octagon. You know, there, there was the 13 seconds with McGregor, if you want to count that, but I don't think he was in trouble there. He, he got caught. Um, you know, a guy who's just so dominant for so long and Max Holloway is very unassuming, you know, he's, he's a nice, nice guy, you know, uh, very religious, very well-spoken. He kind of looks like a little kid. He's got like the puberty mustache <laughs> thing going on that like just 
doesn't <laughs> just, I hate to be a critic of facial hair because I know that's a sensitive <laughs> sensitive subject for a lot of men out there but you know he look like a guy that's going to dominate someone like Jose Aldo he's he's very unassuming he's got kind of a high pitched voice I like what he had after the fight at the post fight press conference where he said I'm not after money fights I want to win big fights and then I want to get paid, which I thought was kind of a cool way to put it because he's not out here saying like, pay me now. He's like, I, I brought home this trophy. Like now, you know, pay me for the next fight. Keep putting bigger guys on me and I'm going to take them out. He's like, I'm not, I'm not looking for money fights. I want to rule this division and get paid doing it. So I thought that was kind of cool. And you know, Aldo, I think, was getting ahead of himself a little bit because he was saying that he wanted to move up to lightweight after this fight uh, and, and look for some super fights. So I feel like maybe he was looking past Holloway a little bit, but at the same time, he came into this fight looking so flat. So uh, I don't know what to think about that. Do you think Aldo maybe was looking past Holloway a little bit, or do you think Holloway is just that good? Yeah, I think Aldo, uh, I think he made a miscalculation with Holloway. I don't think he took him as seriously as he should have. Um, but, Bill, you know, we'd been talking about this last week. Holloway is no joke, man. He has a 10-fight win streak. His last loss was Conor McGregor. So, you know, this guy's the real deal, man. He's he's beating some big names in that division, too. Yeah, and he's still he's still so young. Um, so now on 11 fight win streak in a division that's pretty well stacked, I would imagine Frankie Edgar is going to be next for him. Uh, we, we talked about this after Frankie Edgar's last win over Yair Rodriguez, that if Aldo won, you can't put Edgar in there against him for a third time. But if Holloway won, that's the fight to make. And I know Cub Swanson's in the conversation, but you know, Cub Swanson does have a loss to Max Holloway. So I think Frankie Edgar's the the next uh, natural choice. And I was looking up Max Holloway's age, kind of breaking this down in my head. But um, he's 25 years old, uh, which is ridiculous. He's big for that division, so he'll keep growing into his body. And you know, we could see him to 155 later in his career and possibly being a two division champion. I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself, but what do you think about potential matchup between Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar? And do you think it will happen in Hawaii? I don't know if it would happen in Hawaii, but I, that's one I would love to see. Um, you know, we've talked about this a hundred times. I'm a huge Frankie Edgar fan. Um, I feel like he's the most deserving uh, after, especially after what he did to Yair Rodriguez, man. I mean, that kid's a superstar coming up. And Frankie Edgar, you know, put him away pretty convincingly. So, yeah, Max Holloway versus Frankie Edgar. Dana, wherever you're at, make it happen. <laughs> yeah, Dana White, we know you're listening to the show. So uh, text me if uh, that it should be Frankie Edgar and Max Holloway. And Max Holloway is really pushing for the Hawaii card. He wants to see a UFC in Hawaii. Uh, logistically, it's a little bit of a nightmare because in Canada time zone, I think it's 
It's five or six hours behind the East Coast, um, depending on leap year, or not leap year, um, depending on the season, because they don't do, they don't wind the clocks back. What, what's that called? Why am I? Daylight savings. Uh, daylight time. savings time. They don't, yeah, they don't do daylight savings time in Hawaii. So it's five or six hours behind the East Coast. And then uh, venue is an issue as well because the big stadium there is outdoors. And so they have to make sure that they're doing it, you know, at a time of year where it's not like the rainy season or, or whatever. I'm, I'm not a big climate guy or geography. So I don't know too much about that. Um, <laughs> so let's get back to talking about fighting something that I also don't know too much about, but I, I have a show about it. So we get, we got to talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, so the co-main event, uh, was very one-sided a lot more so than I thought it would be Claudia Gedalia and Karolina Kovokovic. Uh, these are two of the toughest women on the planet. Uh, they've proven that, uh, time after time, both of both of them, their only losses leading into this fight were to the champion, Ioanni Andrzejczyk. So Gedalia just dominant. I mean, really persistent with her takedown, which, you know, we know she has great takedowns and awesome control on the ground. Uh, Kovokovic, we know, is a very reputable striker, but, um, you know, her once she's on the ground, it seems to be a little bit of a weakness. She does have good takedown defense normally, and she's good at springing back up when she gets taken down, but uh, Gedalia was having none of it, and she showed uh, real dominance on the ground. What were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, Claudia Gedalia is a monster, dude. She said she changed up her training, and it definitely helped a lot. She looked really dominant, especially on the ground, and even getting Carolina to the ground – was super easy for her. I mean, it didn't look hard at all. She does this thing where she kind of like swings people off the cage and it works really well for her. Yeah, it's kind of like a like a judo wrestling hybrid takedown that's um you know, it's pretty unique to her and it works for her. Um but now we're in a situation where Gedalia was already the number 1 contender uh as far as the rankings go. And she has two losses to the champion, Yuani Jacek. You know, granted, they were close fights, but you can't, you know, it's it's a tough situation because how how do you put them in there together a third time? Now, when they asked, when Brian Stan asked her what she wanted next, um, she kind of said she wants to take care of some other things in her life and she's going to move to Arizona, which I assume means she's going to start training with Greg Jackson. Thought is that she will move up to 125 pounds. Um, she's not a huge for the strawweight division. She's only 5'3", but she does carry a lot of muscle. So maybe 125 pounds would be the right spot for her. Uh, the only problem being uh, once Jan Jacek continues to clean out the division, I imagine Rose Namajunas is next in line for a title shot. And uh, if, if Jan Jacek beats her, there's no reason for her to not move up to 125 once that division is established and there's a champion and there's a potential for a, a super fight there. Uh, what do you think, Jeff? Do you see Gedalia taking some time off? Do you see her moving up? 
125. Uh, if Rosnam Yunus challenges Jan Jacek and, and comes away with the victory, then uh, Gedalia and Nami Yunus would make sense as a fight to make. But otherwise, how do you see this going down? Yeah, there's a lot of factors here. But as of right now, um, I think Adelia should take some time off, especially if she wants to relocate. I mean, it's not like she's moving down the street. She's moving to a whole different country. So mm -hmm. I think she should take some time off. And then, you know, once the 125 division is introduced, I think she should make a run for it. I'd love to see her and Andrade go at it. But uh, for now, I think that the most logical person to challenge um, Yanjacek is Rose Namajunas, like you said. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, you know, Karolina Kovokovic, I would be excited to see her back in there again um, pretty soon. I, I don't see her moving up to 125. Uh, she's got a little bit of a smaller frame. She looks like she's more suited to stay at 115. She can definitely work her way back up to contend. Her only losses are to the champion, Yun Jacek, and to the number one. Everyone else, you know, she handled pretty well. I mean, she had a close fight with Rose Namajunas, but, um, you know, as far as everyone else, she, she held her own. So let's keep uh, working our way down this card. Marquardt, I had said last week on the show that I would have loved to see this fight five years ago. I maintain <laughs> that opinion. Uh, I would have definitely loved to see these two go at it in their prime uh, when they were both had ridiculous hand speed and fought really aggressive and threw nasty combinations and were kind of juiced up a, a little bit more. Um, and Nate Marquardt's one of these guys who, even after USADA came along, he still looks like a fucking Greek statue. I mean, the guy is just, from what I hear about him, he's just like a natural freak. Like, insane athlete, just a lot of uh, natural abilities, and, and he's able to just be looking in shape all the time. Uh, the other thing I was thinking last night is I wouldn't mind seeing this fight again about eight months from now in Ryzen. Um, where these two would be juiced to the gills. And uh, I know Vitor has one more fight on his UFC contract, but he said last night he wants to fight five more times, so get used to seeing him uh, UFC. I mean, I mean, the guy's 40 years old. If he fights five more times, you know, it's not going to be in a year. So he'll be, you know, 42 or 43 still fighting in the UFC, according to what he was saying last night. Uh, and he's been asking for this Masters League. And he definitely didn't look like the Vitor of old, but he said he's reinventing himself. He said he wants to throw people off so they don't know if he's going to explode in the first round or if he's going to explode in the third. Uh, I, I do agree with him that he did look explosive, surprisingly explosive in that third round, but definitely nothing like the explosiveness we're used to seeing from Vitor Belfort. And, uh, the other thing is I actually had Marquardt winning this fight. I thought he won the first two rounds, um, uh, aside from a few flurries from Belfort. But, you know, being in Brazil, I thought if it went to the judges, there was no chance uh, Marquardt had of winning this fight. So I, I could – it was – and it was close fight. So I could see it going to Vitor. What were your thoughts on this 
fight, Jeff. Yeah, I I'm gonna be honest with you, Bill. I thought Vitor won. Um, I thought it was a close fight, definitely, but I gave mm-hmm. rounds three and probably two to Vitor Belfort. But that first round, I thought it was all Nate Marquardt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that second round is the X factor. There it was it was real close, depending how you score it. Um, you know, Vitor's face got busted up a little bit, but then so did Marquardt's. Um, and it was hard to get into this fight too because it has no implications. I mean, Marquardt's not ranked at all. Vitor is still ranked for some reason, although I couldn't tell you what that reason is uh, since he's had <laughs> he's had some. I mean, he, it wasn't that long ago he fought uh, Wyman for the title, but uh, you know. I, I just don't see him as being relevant anymore. And, you know, he's really pushing for this master's division um, because he just doesn't want to retire. The guy wants to fight forever, which you can't fault him for. Um, but somebody who can't fight forever is Oluwale Bangbos. Bang, bang, Bangbose. Bang, something. Yeah, I don't know if the G is silent because uh, the commentators yesterday were saying Bambose, so I don't know. Bambose, Bambose. Yeah, it's um. So the way his name is spelled is like not natural for native English speakers like myself. Um, but Paolo Enrique Costa, the storm of Bambose, and it was kind of <laughs> it was a spectacle this fight because these guys were like two caged animals. They almost fought each other at the weigh-ins. Uh, they're, they're both known for first round outs. So if anybody had bet on this fight, getting out of the first round, you made a little bit of money last night. So Dan Bose was like jumping all around the cage in the first round, swinging heavy leather the way I do the guy fights like a Hummer. You know, he's crazy powerful. The gas mileage uh, is going to break the bank. And, uh, you know, Baracina, as they call him, they're the storm. And for Mbose to, to just uh, completely run out of gas and then got the TKO. Uh, what did you think about this fight? And back in there, Jeff. Yeah, Bill, this fight was at a thousand miles an hour. Like you said, Olawale Bambose came out. He was just every punch he threw, every strike he threw was a knockout blow. And, you know, it, he gassed out. And you could tell as soon as the, the first round ended, he was taking some deep breaths. He, he was even looking labored, just walking back to his corner. So mm-hmm. I thought um, Boracinha was definitely going to win this one just based on cardio. But, uh, dude. These guys like to bang, bro. I would love to see them get in there again. Let me bang, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um, some Somebody had said on Twitter they want to see uh, Boratina and Uriah Hall, and I think that that would be a fun fight because, um, you know, Uriah Hall's uh, a little bit more patient, uh, conserves his energy a little bit more. So it would be interesting to see uh, Boratina tested against somebody like that and that would definitely be a fun fight to watch um another fun fight was uh yancy medeiros and eric silva and this was my pick 
uh, last week for the sleeper fight on the card. I thought it would be a fight of the night contender. Both of these guys were a little bit more reserved than we're used to seeing from them. Uh, they're both kind of known for, you know, brawler styles and Eric Silva, especially known for taking a lot of risks in the cage. But he said that he wanted to be a little bit more conservative. Um, you know, he's been around a while. He's been in a ton of fight of the nights. He's, he's had a ridiculous amount of bonuses. So it was kind of, there was kind of a weird tension during this fight, which I really enjoyed, um, between these two, because you didn't know when either of them would explode. And it was like, who's going to resort to their brawling roots first. And, you know, Yancey Medeiros caught Eric Silva with a huge punch behind the ear that dropped him and um, got on top. And he rained down five huge unanswered blows on top of that. So it was stopped by the referee. And then Eric Silva immediately jumped up protesting the stoppage. Uh, I mean, the way he went down and his eyes rolled back and everything, and then the five big punches, I thought it was a good stoppage, but then the way he jumped back up and wasn't wobbly or anything, you know, I guess he could make a case there. What did you think about the fight, Jeff? And what did you think about the stoppage, good or bad? Listen, um, when you get hit with bombs and you go, you know, for five of them and you don't respond, I think the fight needs to be stopped. So I'm not going to blame the ref mm -hmm. for that one. I think it was a good stoppage. Eric Silva, he knows the drill, man. You got to defend yourself intelligently if you want the fight to not be stopped. But uh, aside from that, I thought it was an awesome fight. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Medeiros and Silva were just a little too tentative, a little too respectful of each other. Mm -hmm. But um, it was a fun fight, man. I love the exchanges. You knew this was going to be a stand-up fight. So it was really good. Madero is a training partner of Max Holloway for this one. So it was it was a really fun fight to watch. Yeah, they're they're making the so the Hawaiian Yancey Madero's um, making the case for you know that UFC in Hawaii because you know the two Hawaiians on the card came into Brazil and beat Brazilians and they beat two tough Brazilians. So yeah. uh, you know credit to Hawaii for this one. So. Um, you know, Yancey Medeiros, he's been kind of uh, hot and cold uh, in the UFC so far, but I, I would like to see him get, you know, maybe a top 15 guy next uh, in that welterweight division and get in there and mix it up. I mean, he's got he's got serious skills. He's well-rounded, and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in there again. But, yeah, as far as – the stoppage i think we're on the same page like you got to stop that fight there because uh he, yeah he was able to jump back up and then john anik is in there like i think that was a premature stoppage <laughs> like <laughs> let's see how many of those punches john Anik's gonna take <laughs> i think he needs to uh i need he, he needs to stick to the the color commentary stuff and and not have because uh dominic cruz and brian stan were like silent after he said that he was like, yeah, I think that was a premature stoppage. He got up right away. and <laughs> But in any case, uh, I, far be it from me to be critical of a professional broadcaster like that. That's an insanely difficult job. I mean, we're 
we're live on YouTube right now with with two viewers, and I'm I'm nervous beyond belief. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm used to uh, I'm used to being able to go back and edit this carefully. I I don't actually do that, but there's just something about being able to record and then you know post it later without thinking about it that makes me relax a little bit more. But uh, how's everybody doing out there in YouTube land? Thanks for watching. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast later, um, I'm sorry for this little tangent I'm going on. But uh, another fight that was I thought was ridiculously close, Rafaela Sunsau and uh, Marlon Moraes. Moraes? I'm not, I'm not killing it with the names today. Um, this one was super close. I uh, There were a lot of low blows from Sunsau. And Moraes came in with a lot of momentum into the UFC. He was actually a favorite against the number three ranked Asun Sao, which is kind of ridiculous for a guy making his UFC debut to be a favorite over the number three ranked guy in the division. Uh, I I didn't see Asun Sao getting this decision, but uh, you know I don't think it's I don't think it's the biggest robbery of all time either uh it, it was a it was a close fight it was well contested by both guys i i think even a sun thought he lost at the end of the fight but came away with a split decision uh what were your thoughts on this one jeff bill i was excited up until the fight started um there was a lot of slipping when they were throwing kicks and you know i think Moraes definitely had some you know debut jitters but honestly, I thought Sun Sao won this fight. Um, but I mean, I'm not upset that Marais didn't win. I wouldn't have been upset if a Sun Sao had lost, uh, just because I felt like this fight could have been a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I mean, credit for to a Sun Sao for taking this fight. Uh, you know, you got to respect guys who are willing to fight anybody these days because they're few and far between. So. You know, he could have easily said, like, are you kidding me? I'm I'm ranked number three. You're going to bring in this guy who's making his debut, and I got to fight him? And then, you know, risk losing, you know, my contender spot. Um, but, you know, he didn't do that. He he took the fight, and, you know, he, he brought the fight to Marais. And, you know, uh, not the greatest debut for someone who had a lot of momentum behind them. And that seems to be the case for a lot of these guys that are coming over from other organizations, even if they've been champions. And I don't know if it's just the pressure of the UFC and, you know, all the, the media and everything they get put through and the nerves and, and things like that. It's just like a completely different animal, but you know, I, I would be excited to see uh race back in there. Uh, he comes from a great camp with uh, Mark Henry training with uh, Frankie Edgar, Edson Barbosa, and those guys. Uh, so you know he's got a legitimate pedigree, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him back in there and a Sun Style as well. I think, I think, um, you know, he's still a contender, and at, you know, let's get him back in there uh, pretty soon. Um, the fight right before that, uh, before we do our usual fast forward through the undercard, um, picking out fights that just kind of stand out, Antonio Carlos Jr., shoe face, as they call him, which I think is one of the funniest 
nicknames, <laughs> I guess. Because <laughs> his face just kind of looks like somebody's stomped on it. Like, I don't know. He's just... He's a, oh, God. <laughs> he's, he's a, <laughs> Antonio, if you're listening, just text me. And, uh, you know, I'll probably apologize pretty quick. Uh, very, very dominant jujitsu over a guy in Eric Spicely who is known for his ground game. So Carlos Jr. bringing this fight to the ground, keeping it there. He's got very unorthodox posture in his jujitsu. He has like a very wide base. He puts pressure in very unusual ways and he just kind of wraps himself around. He wrapped himself around Spicely in like such an odd way, the way he took his back at the end of the first round. And then again in the second round, and it seemed like any way Spicely turned, you know, Carlos Jr. was like basing out like with these giant limbs. I mean, the guy's competed in jiu-jitsu at super heavyweight, I believe. So he's legitimate um, jiu-jitsu competitor. I mean, he submitted Gary Tonin not too long ago in a, in a flow grappling match, I believe. Wait, he caught him with a flying triangle, which, you know, to submit Gary Tonin with anything is impressive. Uh, for those who don't know, Gary Tonin's one of the top uh, submission grapplers in the world right now coming out of, uh, Henzo Gracie's in New York city training under John Donaher. Uh, so Carlos Jr. Impressive getting, getting that submission, uh, with the rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, this is another guy who had a lot of hype coming into the UFC and then it kind of tapered off. Uh, he had a big loss to Dan Kelly, who he called out at, at the end of this fight, which it's cool that he wants to redeem that loss. Um, so what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, Antonio Carlos Jr. is a beast, man. He looked good. Uh, I didn't see him in any trouble at all. So, you know, it was a nice win. Uh, beautiful rear naked choke. I remember texting him about it and just saying, Carlos Jr. is a beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Um, you know, definitely legitimate jujitsu skills. And, you know, when he came into the UFC, he was still very raw as an MMA fighter. So we've definitely been able to see him evolve a lot. And I, I think it's exciting to see him as a contender. Um, you know, maybe we get him in there against uh, Barachina um, or get him in there against uh, Bambose. <laughs> that, would be, that would be kind of fun because you'll have like the crazy winging striker who's got, you know, pretty decent wrestling against you know, high level jujitsu guy. I think, I, I mean, I have a pretty good idea of how that one would go, but uh, the spectacle of it would be kind of fun. All right. Uh, anything, do you have the rest of the undercard in front of you, Jeff? Does anything else jump out at you? Um, there was a couple of submissions and, and then uh, a, a couple of uh, knockouts as well. Uh, any, any of these you want to kind of break down for us? Uh, unfortunately, I didn't watch the undercard. Four. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so another big announcement that came uh, last night was the induction of Kazushi Sakuraba into the UFC Hall of Fame. This one kind of came as a surprise to me um, because I guess I don't think about like these pride guys um, being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame, but it's awesome that they are because when you think of Sakuraba, obviously you think of pride, but... Uh, it's hard not to think of UFC and Pride as two separate entities and that, 
you know, it's easy to forget that the, the UFC acquired them, um, which is great because now you can watch all these pride fights on UFC fight pass, which I always enjoy doing. And it's, um, it's made my DVD collection obsolete. Um, and then I gave you a lot of my pride DVDs when I moved to Florida anyway, cause I had to, <laughs> I didn't want to bring so much stuff with me cross country, but Sakuraba, a legend of the sport. So for people who have never seen Sakuraba fight, uh, log on to fight pass and look this dude up. He was just, so he was known for, uh, being the first guy to, to show the Gracies as, um, beatable they call him the gracie hunter for a reason he he beat hoist gracie in a 90 minute fight which is ridiculous to fight for an hour and a half um i i can't do a lot of things for an hour and a half i, <laughs> I don't think i could even take a nap for an hour and a half forget forget about have a have a fight for an hour and a half um you know go go for a, a 90 minute bike ride uh you know i'll be exhausted it's it's pretty ridiculous, but you know, he did it and he went on to have such a legendary career. He fought everybody. I mean, he was 165 pounds. This guy fought and defeated Rampage Jackson. He fought Vanderlei Silva. He fought Kevin Randleman and beat him. He fought Noguera. He fought <coughs> uh, every Gracie, Ken Shamrock. Uh, he fought the Gracies that like don't even show up to the reunion. <laughs> like, you're just like, all right, your last your last name's Gracie. Let's go, let's fight. Um, and he fought, <laughs> you know, the the who's who of you know legendary pride fighters. Uh, Igor Vovchanchin, who was just a, a fucking monster. He was like. He was like kind of like Fedor before there was Fedor. Uh, if you don't know who Igor Vovchanchin is, uh, go look him up on Fight Pass, but good luck spelling his last name. Um, yeah, so, and he even beat Vitor Belfort in 1999, which is like super young, super juiced up Vitor Belfort. And he, he went the distance with him and, and beat him at Pride 5. So definitely deserving. It was awesome to see uh, you know, Sakuraba get that tribute video and everything. And, you know, he fought until he was like 45 years old and he was, he was losing fights at the end there. But, uh, you know, so much respect for that guy, you know, just getting in there fighting heavyweights, fighting guys, his weight, like he didn't care. He fought anybody. Um, so especially guys out there, like asking for money fights, you know, please, uh, take some notes from Kazushi Sakuraba and, uh, yeah so just the <laughs> the whole gracie family tree <laughs> just like picking them off the branches uh yeah what were your thoughts on this one jeff yeah i think sakuraba deserves it man like you said i was a little surprised because he was mostly a pride guy but man uh who hasn't sakuraba fought this guy fought mirko krokop like come on dude this guy's a nut yeah and you know mirko krokop is a heavyweight and we haven't even mentioned sakuraba was a welterweight i think the most he ever weighed was like 175 like come on dude this guy is a maniac how do you not love sakuraba he's the gracie hunter uh he was like a pro wrestler but he could actually wrestle i mean you gotta love it 
Yeah, I mean, just a beast. And like any, like they ran out of Gracies. They're like, all right, uh, Cecil Gracie, <laughs> get over here. <laughs> we gotta, we got to find somebody. <laughs> so we gotta yeah. find some Gracie who can beat this guy, Marcus Gracie. <laughs> like, get him, get him in here. Um, yeah, but yeah, Sakuraba, total legend. Uh, awesome to see him get the the recognition. Um, and it was a really cool tribute video. It's a shame that not a lot of people saw it because I highly doubt the numbers for this pay-per-view uh, did well, the UFC 212. I just don't I, I don't see it, you know, hitting even half a million. Maybe it did 350,000 buys, 400,000 buys. Uh, probably did well. Um, probably did pretty well in Brazil. But I don't know how many people are buying pay-per-views in Brazil. Uh, all of Hawaii probably bought it, but you know, who knows what they do in Hawaii. They might have just like one big projector that they have at the Luau and everybody, <laughs> they order it there and everybody just comes and, and watches there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just don't, I mean, I was excited for this card, but I just don't see it doing big numbers by any means. So awesome that Sakuraba got inducted. And speaking of legends, I saw something uh, a little bit concerning last night, and it was on Chuck Liddell's Instagram. And it was a picture of Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz dressed up in suits, having a stare down. And the caption on Chuck's Instagram was, why not? Question mark. Uh, I've been hearing rumors of Chuck Liddell making a comeback, possibly in Bellator. Um, I got to say, I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> and I, I definitely hope it doesn't happen against Tito Ortiz because one, Tito just retired. Like he went out on a high note. He submitted Chael Sonnen. Uh, you know, whether you believe it was legitimate or, or staged or, or whatever, because there was a lot of controversy there. You know, he went out on a high note. He's a legend of the sport. He, he's done a lot for the sport. So is Chuck Liddell, and Chuck Liddell's, you know, stayed in the UFC a little longer than he probably should have. I I don't want to see this, but the, the worst part about it is if it happens, I'm gonna watch it. But I don't want to watch it. It's like it's like a like a car accident. You know, you're like, I don't want to see them dragging those people out of that car and you know, they're cutting the seatbelt off them and everything, but then you can't look away. So it kind of be like that. Uh, Jeff, did you hear about this? And if not, what's your reaction? Bill, why? Why, <laughs> well, why not? According why, why? To Bill. Bill, why are we doing this? Come on. What, 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 what's going on here, man? I mean, if Chuck Liddell is going to fight anybody, let him fight Sakuraba. They're the same age. <laughs> I think they might be. I mean, I'm surprised. I don't think they've fought before. So, um, and it, you know what? So Chuck and Tito have fought twice before. They were not even competitive fights. And Tito never wanted to fight Chuck because they trained together. And Chuck always got the better of Tito in the training room. And Tito knew it. I, I don't think there's anything. To, I mean, these guys are both legends. There, there's nothing for either of them to prove, but. We're starting to see a trend with these guys who just can't let go. I mean, these guys are fighters, and they will always be fighters, uh, you know, whether they're under contract with an organization or not. 
So you have to respect that about them. That's what made them great in their hating. But damn, this is getting this is getting hard <laughs> hard to watch. I mean, um, you know, you 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 really don't want to see either of these. I mean, there's talk of of Hoist Gracie taking another fight too. Uh, and he's talking about fighting Matt Hughes and <laughs> Matt Hughes wants to get back in there. Uh, this is not like, this is not like baseball where you can have an old timers day and it's like cute, you know, and these guys get out there and they're like, can't really walk and they make the base pass a little shorter for them. And like, they give them like a, like a big wiffle ball bat and like, <laughs> this is not, it's not baseball. This is dangerous. These are guys who have been suffering concussions you know, while they were young and healthy and now, you know, they're probably still in great shape, but you know, I, I don't want to see these guys, you know, taking damage like this anymore. <clears throat> so Chuck Liddell, if you're listening, text me and uh, let me talk you out of this. You got nothing to prove, especially against Tito Ortiz, who you dominated twice already. Um, so in any case, let's move on. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this. So next week from Auckland, New Zealand, uh, kind of an interesting scenario here. UFC Fight Night 110, and it's headlined by Mark Hunt and Derek Lewis. Now, Mark Hunt is a guy who has been bumping heads with the UFC big time. And <clears throat> it kind of seems like the UFC is like, oh, yeah, you want to fuck with us? Here's Derek Lewis. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how this one's going to work out. Uh, this is another one that would be surprising if it went out of the first round. I mean, these, these are two guys with ridiculous power. Um, so it's kind of weird because it seems like this is a fuck you to Mark Hunt by giving him Derek Lewis, but then they're also letting him headline in his home country. So it's like, it's like, fuck you, but but you can fight at home. <laughs> so it's like, a, it's like, it's like a, like a gentle fuck you, but um, yeah, I don't know. So uh, awesome fight though. How do you see this one going down? Jeff? Yeah, dude, I think, I think this is uh, the UFC's way of telling Mark Hunt that the lawsuit's not going to go well. Um, <clears throat> that's if he remembers what he's suing for after this fight, man. Um, Derek Lewis, the beast, you know, he's a, he's a monster. Um, I feel like this is a really good matchup for both of them. You know, mm -hmm. they both have knockout power. Um, so this is going to be fun, man. I don't think – I don't see it going out of the first round, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it, – Mark Hunt's one of those guys that you can – you can never count out because every time he's supposed to lose, he pulls a walk off knockout out of nowhere. Um, I, I definitely don't see this fight going to the ground. Both of these guys uh, have solid takedown defense and they use it to stay on their feet. Mark Hunt, 43 years old, still there and, and, and slinging leather. And Derek Lewis just, a monster in every sense of the word. I mean, after beating the crap out of Travis Brown, he goes, "We're Ronda Rousey's fine ass." At. This is like one of, one of the most epic post-fight comments of all time. Um, 
I feel like that's an underrated one. That's right up there with I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. That's <laughs> like that's a that's just a classic. That's top five, easily top five post fight comments of all time. You beat beat the crap out of the guy, and then you ask where his where his fine ass fiance is. That's that's like a new that's a new level of of baller right there. Uh, so this is gonna be an awesome fight, and this is actually this is this is a solid card. If you look at it, we got. Uh, the co-main event, Derek Brunson, who ha has kind of, you know, been struggling a little lately, and uh, Dan Kelly, who is another one of these guys. He's got like, he's got like no knees left. His he's his he gets in that cage with his knees duct taped <laughs> together just so his legs can can, can stay stable, and uh, you know he just gets in there and wins fights that he's not supposed to win. So. Um, Antonio Carlos Jr. calling out the winner of this, Brunson and uh, Daniel Kelly. And then uh, I'm just going to read off a couple of these, Jeff, and you, and you let me know which ones you want to kind of go over. We got uh, Ross Pearson fighting again uh, against uh, Dan Hooker. Um, Tim Elliott is on this card, who's mm. always exciting. Uh, he's fighting uh, Ben, ben Nguyen, I, I believe his name is pronounced. I'm usually good about the name pronunciations, but today is, is an off day, so you know, forgive me, everybody. Um, Bill, this is the only day we record. What are you talking about? Yeah, the, <laughs> the one day, <laughs> the one day, one day we do this live. I didn't, uh, I didn't do any preparation and learn how to pronounce people's names, which it, usually I do. I'm gonna go back and <laughs> and voice dub, put in, put in. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I, no, I never knew that. Um, all right, so Tim Elliott on here, Ross Pearson, Derek Brunson, Daniel Kelly. Who, who's jumping out at you here, Jeff? I uh, really like Brunson versus Kelly. Um, that looks like a super good fight. Uh, Dan Kelly, we talked about, uh, he got that win over Rashad Evans. I think, did he beat Rashad Evans? Yes, he did. Okay, okay, he did. Um, yeah, so this looks like a really interesting fight. Derek Brunson putting on a show against Silva in his last fight. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, Tim Elliott, uh, always a fun time to watch him. Uh, I don't know much about Ben Nguyen, I'm going to assume is how you say his name. Yeah. Because um, in Spanish, we got the ñ that makes the ng sound. So yeah. Nguyen, I assume. But uh, I've never seen him fight before, but... Tim Elliott, fun time. The only guy really to give Demetrius Johnson trouble in any round. Uh, yeah. So, so this is an interesting fight. Yeah, Tim Elliott, and uh, apparently Tim Elliott uh, is is into uh, transvestite hookers in Thailand. So him and I were kind of going back and forth on Twitter a little bit. I forget how it even came up, but he was saying like <laughs> he's. He's looking to fuck anything that moves in Thailand, and he doesn't care if it has a penis or not. So, you know, I like his style. Uh, <laughs> Tim Elliott's Tim Elliott's a beast. He's look he's looking to to take over the world and and you know nab some chicks with dicks over over in Thailand and and uh, and beat some people up. So you gotta admire the guy's style. Um, <clears throat> so that's fight night one ten. Auckland, New Zealand, that's going to be next weekend, June 10th. So that'll be a good time. That'll, that'll, that'll be a fun little card to watch.
uh, and it's free. So, uh, what time is that starting? Do you know? Because that's uh, like a thousand hour time difference. Yeah, I think it's a thousand and three hours. Um, that's a great question. We should look this up. Uh, UFC Fight Night. Uh, actually, it's looking like it might be 10 p.m., so cool. usual start time. Yeah, so that means it's going to be like in the morning over there, which they, they tend to do a lot. When I went to Japan, I went to UFC Fight Night in Japan. It started like 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, so it was kind of weird going in there. Um, you know, you have your beers and stuff watching the fights, and then you come outside, and it's it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you feel like it's the middle of the night, especially because I had just arrived in Japan the day before, so I was still like jet lagged. I didn't, I didn't even know what year it was when I came out. <laughs> <laughs> I came out like, like Robin Williams and Jumanji. I was like, what year is it? <laughs> yeah, I remember um, when I went to Florida to visit you. I was jet lagged for a little bit. Yeah, even though it's the same time zone. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, Jeffrey, um, I'm sitting here. I'm sipping on some of this. Um, I was telling you about the Tierra's tequila uh, yes. last week. So I got some of the the tequila that I infused with the mm. coffee beans, and I'm just kind of sipping on this. Uh, I, I put one ice cube in there, and it's real tasty. Like just the kind of earthy flavors of the, you know, coffee comes from a plant. Tequila is made from a plant. So you know, they go together, and I'm probably going to make uh, the cocktail video. If there's any tequila left, I'm going to make that next YouTube video today. Um, so I'll be putting that up uh, sometime next week, so keep an eye out for that. And May on the Rocks on YouTube if you're listening anywhere else right now. And uh, last night during the fights, I was sipping on some uh, Beck's beer. I don't know if you've ever had Beck's beer, Jeff. So it's a German recipe beer, um, and it is now produced in the United States in St. Louis. Hmm. And like, uh, hmm, like a uh, that kind of bitter taste to it, like a Heineken. Hmm. Uh, and it, <clears throat> you know, if you've ever seen Beck's, it comes in like the green bottles. Now, uh, you might be wondering why some beer comes in green bottles and some beer comes in brown bottles. And the reason for that, I'll tell you, since you're so obviously wondering, <laughs> is uh, they, they used to bottle beer in green bottles and they found that uh, sunlight would get through and it would kind of skunk the beer and make it smell a little funny, which is why Heineken and Beck's kind of smell and taste a little funny and, and bitter and skunky. Um, so they discovered that brown bottles would block out more sunlight and it wouldn't, uh, affect the beer as much. So that's why a lot of beer comes in brown bottles. However, if you see beer in green bottles, it's not really for any practical marketing. So Heineken has always come in green bottles, so they keep distributing their beer in green bottles. It has no benefit whatsoever. So... Since you were wondering, <laughs> that's the explanation. But uh, you know, Bex is like a pretty a pretty solid beer. Like if it's on sale, uh, which it was, I think it was like 
uh, two for one six packs or something at Publix over here. So I was like, ah, oh, why not something a little different? You know, I'm always so into all the IPAs and and the pale ales and everything like that. Like, let me get something a little bit lighter. Um, but yeah, it's a German recipe for beer. So it's a German beer, but it is made in the United States currently. So it's got a little bit, uh, a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, Jeff, I know you were uh, getting into some more Buffalo Trace over the weekend. So obviously we're big fans of Buffalo Trace on the show. So uh, why don't you let the people know in case they haven't heard the last couple of episodes. Yeah, dude. I mean, I enjoy it. I put a splash of water in it and it really brings out a little bit more of the flavor goes down smooth. And, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm taking my time with it, Bill. You know, I feel like a good bourbon, you shouldn't rush into it. You shouldn't drink it in like two days. So I'm taking my time with it a little bit every day of the week. I'm good. There you go. Yeah, just like a, a little taste. And I, I like the little splash of water in there. That's that's the way to do the bourbon or or do scotch. Um, that's how you know people know their stuff when they they put a little splash of water in the bourbon or the scotch. So good on you for doing that. And I think that's about all we got for this week. Uh, if you want to let us know what you've been drinking, then reach out to us on social media. You can catch Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. Of course, you guys all know where to find me, at MMA on the Rocks. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, probably a few other places. And if you're listening anywhere else, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube. If you're watching us, if you want to see our faces, what we look like, you can do that now. <laughs> it's possible. All right. My name is Bill Welker. This has been MMA on the Rocks. Thanks for listening. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye.